You know, sometimes in our life we face difficult things, don't we? And uh, we have problems. And when we are in the midst of them, we sometimes wonder if there's anything that's going to come out of this that is good. And yet, when we continue to believe in God and we place things in God's hands, He really has an amazing way of pulling all things together and bringing good in the midst of the most difficult circumstances. But it really does come to a, uh, down to a matter of trust. If we're able to, in the midst of the circumstance, trust in Him, um, we can realize the good that He wants to bring out of it. I found myself saying this little phrase lately, quite often to different people at different th- going through different things, and this little phrase is this, when we trust God, everybody wins. And so many times we can get impatient with God and we can take matters into our own hands. And, um, or maybe we don't do exactly what he says. Or, or we might get afraid and we get impatient. And in the midst of trauma or turmoil or crisis or problem, we, we might jump the gun and we might make some decisions that we later wish we hadn't. We're going through a study in the book of Genesis on the life of Abraham, and as we'll learn from even last week, our first sermon, all the way through this, we're going to find out that Abraham was a person just like you and me. Abraham didn't always do things right. He made mistakes. And it shows us much about God, this relationship between Adam, I mean Abraham and God. Last week, we left Abraham in the 12th chapter of Genesis, right after he had received this call of God. And here's the call. It said to leave your country, leave your relatives, and even leave your father's household and head out to a place where I will show you. And that's mostly what he did. (laughs) Not completely. If you read the last half of chapter 12, you find an unseemly story about Abraham. And I'm not going to read it, but let me me kind of tell it to you real quick. There was a famine, a severe famine in the land. And so he took his family and he went down to Egypt. And as he was approaching Egypt, he told his wife, Sarah, to tell everyone that she was his sister. (laughs) She was his wife. Uh, Abraham was fearful that the Pharaoh would find her attractive and kill him in order to take her. And Abraham was remembering his promise that he had just received from the Lord that I'm going to make you, Abraham, a great nation. And I'm like, yeah, I, I I perhaps wonder if he thought... How can I become a great nation if I die? So I've got this plan. Sarah, tell him you're my sister. He knew that Pharaoh would see her beauty and take her as his wife, and then Abraham would be well-treated as the brother of such a lovely lady. And that happened. She said he was, she was his sister, and Pharaoh took her. And what happened was that God brought great plagues upon the house of Pharaoh. And when he got to the bottom of why this was all happening, he found out that Abraham had actually lied to him. And you would have thought at this point that he would have gone ahead and (laughs) killed him. (laughs) But he expels him from the country. You see, Abraham knew that he had to stay alive in order for God's promise to be fulfilled, but the famine came. What was he supposed to do? And he probably thought that he was going to die if he stayed. Could God have provided food even in the midst of a famine? 
He heads to Egypt, though, and then probably thinks, well, I'm going to be killed because my wife is so beautiful. <laughs> so he takes matters into his own hands to help God. You ever taken matters into your own hands to help God? <laughs> I, would, I would think his life was more at risk by lying to Pharaoh than it would have been to have told him the truth from the beginning. But even then, God makes sure he is unharmed. So here's my first point, And that is this. Helping God out creates problems. Helping God out creates problems. And we see it throughout Abraham's life later on. The, the years are rolling by, and he remembers this promise. Abraham, you're going to be the father of a great nation. He remembers that, and still no child. The next year, no child. The next year, no child. And so his wife, Sarah, she gets impatient. And she offers her servant Hagar to Abraham to have a child. It's obvious that God's promise isn't going to come through me. So here, take my servant. Makes sense to Abraham. There is no child. So he does. Obviously, God is having some trouble getting this done. So we'll just help him out. Have you ever become impatient with God and taken matters into your own hands? Most of the time, most of the time his delay is because he's doing something spiritual in your life that maybe you don't know is going on. Maybe he's using this season to build your faith or detach you from your idols or draw you into deeper dependence. Now the scene in chapter 13 shifts to the relationship between Abraham and his nephew, Lot. Both Abraham and Lot were extremely wealthy with lots of livestock and lots of servants and they were traveling together and occupying the same land and the land could not adequately support both of them because of their wealth and, well a family squabble develops. Strife between the two houses of Abraham and Lot. And I'm going to pick up the story in Genesis 13, verse 8. It says this, So Abram said to Lot, Please let there be no strife between you and me, nor between my herdsmen and your herdsmen, for we are brothers. Is not the whole land before you? Please separate from me. If to the left, then I will go to the right. If... Or if to the right, then I will go to the left. And Lot lifted up his eyes and saw all the valley of the Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere. And this was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. Like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, as you go to Zoar. So Lot chose for himself all the valley of the Jordan. And Lot journeyed eastward. And thus they separated from each other. Abram settled in the land of Canaan while Lot settled in the cities of the valley and moved his tents as far as Sodom. Now the men of Sodom were wicked exceedingly and sinners against the Lord. And the Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, Now lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward and southward and eastward and westward, for all the land which you see. I will give it to you and to your descendants forever, and I will make your descendants as the dust of the earth. So that if anyone can number the dust of the earth, then your descendants can also be numbered. Arise, walk about the land through its length and its breadth, for I will give it to you. And then Abram moved his tent and came and dwelt by the oaks of Mamre, which are in Hebron. 
And there he built an altar to the Lord. Now I have a question. Do you think that this strife between Abram and Lot, do you think that that could have been orchestrated by God himself? You see, the plan of God was for Abram to leave his country, his relatives, his father's household, and go to the place that God was going to show him. And that was what God spelled out for him in the first part of chapter 12. And you ever wonder, reading this story, would you wonder why, after hearing God say, leave, 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 everything familiar, why would Abram say, Lot, come on and go with me? Come on and go with me. We don't know the circumstances that led to Abram really violating the, the call that was just given to him. Maybe Abram felt like he needed some kinfolk along with him. We don't know. All we know is that God had called him to leave all, and he didn't. And it created problems. So see if the second point relates to your life in some way. Uh, Doing most of what God says creates problems. (laughs) He, he, He took up and he left his country and he left his friends and he left a lot of his relatives and he did almost everything that God had called him to do except one thing. And he took his nephew with him. You see, God is not a God that wants most of you. He is not a God who wants 80 or 90% of your life or your obedience. Why does God want all of us? Why does God want every bit of us? Is it because he has some kind of ego problem? (laughs) It's because when you and I completely obey him, it it, it brings about the best of our life. It brings about the best for our life. It, It brings about the best for our futures. I remember hearing a story of a man who was called by God to enter the pastorate. But he had always planned on going into his father's business, and his father had trained him and brought him up, hoping to hand over his father's lucrative business to him. And this young man grew up, and he felt like God really wanted him to preach and be a pastor. And he rationalized that, you know, my father's business touches so many different people, so many customers and vendors and everything. He says, I rationalize that I can minister as well, not being a pastor. Or it's virtually the same. And it may be. But is that the call of God that was given to him? He went and he followed in his father's footsteps and What do you think happened to the business after he took it over? It began to fail, and one day, many years later, he he came and he fell before the Lord, and he said, I will do whatever it is that you want me to do. And he left the business, and he went into the preparation, and he went into full-time ministry, and God has brought such great fruit through his life. We ought not rationalize with God. Well, let me tell you what. I can speak from personal experience. Don't rationalize with God. (laughs) If he says something that he is wanting you to do, if he moves in your heart, leading you in a certain direction, 
whether you have an excuse after an excuse after an excuse, I'm not able to do that, God. I don't, I don't have the ability to do that. I, I can't. Whatever your excuses are, just set them aside. Don't rationalize. And move forward. Just do it. If he says something is bad for you, even if everyone else is doing it, well, don't do it. <laughs> he knows you. He knows your future. We learn something else about God from this scene in Abram's life. And Abraham, we, we, we get this picture of Abraham throughout the, his life that he's a guy that really doesn't like a lot of conflict. He doesn't really want conflict. Any of you like that? You avoid conflict, you know, at any cost? And he has this conflict with Lot, and so he tells him to choose whatever piece of land he wants, and he says, you, if you go east, I'll go west. If you go west, I'll go east. It doesn't matter to me. I just don't want the conflict. Let's just get it over with. And so Lot looks it all over, and he sees how lush the Jordan River Valley is and sees the cities out there and says, that, well, I'm going to go east. I'm going to take part of this, and it's probably because he thought it was better than this. Did it turn out well for Lot? going this direction, taking in the city of Sodom. Now, he actually lost his wife because of this decision later on. And what Lot doesn't really know is that Canaan, the, the, the land that Abram was left with, was really God's plan all along. And so my third point is this. God moves in mysterious ways. Go with it. Sometimes it seems like God is, it makes a whole lot more sense. The land is so much more lush. It seems like this ought to be the way I walk, and yet I feel pulled over here. I feel like this is the decision you're asking me to make. God wanted Abraham to have a certain piece of land without Lot. Abraham took matters into his own hands and created problems. But God kept moving him to get him where he wanted kept orchestrating the events to move Abraham into the promised land. So I look at this and I say, have I ever made choices that ended out to be bad because I made them out of fear or impatience or greed? And yet God, out of His mercy, still maneuvered situations to move me where He wanted me. I can't tell you how many times that's happened where I made a choice and God would correct and move and bring about his purposes in my life. I remember a time when I was outside of uh, full-time ministry. I wasn't uh, working in a church. I was teaching school. And, but I sensed strongly that God was calling me back into full-time ministry in some kind of position. I didn't know what it was. I didn't know where it was. I didn't know how it would come about. But I really felt the hand of God upon me in those days. And towards that, and time went by, and I started wondering if I was hearing God right. I'm the only one that's ever had that question, right? Am I hearing you right? And finally, a call came to interview for a pastoral position at a church in another city here in Texas. And how do you think I felt inside when this call finally came? All right, God, you're, you're moving. The, 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 the weight is over and you 
are going to move me into places where I can know that I'm walking in the calling of God and my faith was built. And so we packed up our family and we headed to this city for the interview of this church. And I just knew going that God was leading us back into ministry here. We got there and arrived in the city and they told us to check into the hotel. All arrangements would be made for us. And we went to the hotel they had directed us to and found they didn't have any reservation for us at all. I said, no problem. Uh, there were some rooms available, so I put it on my credit card. We went straight to the church. We wanted to see the building, and we were greeted by this girl who looked about 15 and not dressed very appropriately. She said, hello, and she told us her name, and she says, I'm the youth director. I went, Wow. And I have to tell you, it went downhill from there. <laughs> they had this reception for us at the church to meet the pastoral candidate. And I remember them setting up for the reception as we were all there. And they threw some old cake out on the table that they had left over from a baby shower the week before. <laughs> the lady who did it told me, well, this is our fourth pastor interview and we just don't care much anymore. The parsonage they took us to, and they said, this is where you'll be living. We needed a wrench to turn the kitchen faucet. Among countless other problems that they promised at some point would be fixed. I'll never forget getting into the car on the way home after these two days. There was total silence for quite a while in the car with my two young kids. We drove and we drove and we drove and nobody wanted to say anything. And finally my son in the back of the seat, the back seat, he just started the conversation and said, "Dad, that church is dead." <laughs> Trying to get the message, "Please don't take us there." Through to me. I think God was uh, God knew that I was anxious to follow His call in my life, and He needed to be very clear. And even after that, I had the feeling that, even amidst all of that, I can't look at those factors and make a spiritual decision. It really comes down to not does it how how does it measure up. It all comes down to what is God saying, right? And so I struggled with this call, and uh, many days went by. I was just distraught over it, and the day finally came where I really needed to tell them yes or no. I'd put it off a few times. I just, I just hadn't heard from God. And on that morning, that last morning, I went to God's Word, and I was reading in the book of Numbers about the story of the spies who had been sent to spy out the land, and I came to verse 42 of chapter 14, and this is what it says. It says, do not go up or you will be struck down before your enemies for the Lord is not among you. <laughs> and the Holy Spirit spoke as clear as a bell and said, this is your scripture for today. <laughs> <laughs> I 
And you know, sometimes you just know when God's talking. You just know that you know that you know. He's, his spirit is speaking to your spirit. In many ways, it's more, understand, it's more sure than if he was physically saying something. It is just so spiritually deep within you. I had great confidence in calling them up and saying, not going to come. God has moved definitively. And I don't know, but it wasn't more than a month or two that a call came from Grace Bible Church in Georgetown. See if I would be interested in leading the worship on Sunday mornings. I think back of that, that time in our life and I see how God goes before us. How God goes behind us as we sang this morning. How if we'll trust in him and do whatever it is that he tells us to do, that he'll make it clear. There's one more thing we learn about God from this relationship with Adam and After these things were, I mean, with Abraham, after these things with Abraham had not done, he had not done exactly what he should have. God, and you can read it, I read it earlier. God has this conversation with him. And what does God say? He reaffirms the promise. Abraham, I will make you the father of a great nation. Your descendants will be as the dust of the earth. You can't number him. And he, he's, God starts out this speech to Abraham with these words. He says, now lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are. And as I read that phrase, I thought, I bet there's people in Grace Bible Church on this Sunday morning that needs to hear just that line. <laughs> now lift up your eyes. And look from the place where you are. He says, look out across the land. But he says, before you do that, you're going to have to lift up your eyes. Don't be downcast over what's just happened. And my fourth point is just the passage of Scripture. Lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are. Look out. Look ahead. God has a future in front of you. Do I have any wallowers here today? You know, when stuff goes bad and you like to remunerate how, how many bad things are going on in your life and how impossible it looks for God. You know, as a pastor, every once in a while I get somebody to come into my office and they just kind of uh, dump all their garbage in there. You know what I mean? They just, they just dun, 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 dun. And they're just trying to convince me that they're in an impossible situation that God is not able to handle this. And God's word comes to us and says, lift up your eyes. Don't look at this. Don't wallow. Don't doubt. I have plans for you. I have a future for you. And you might be here today and you're wondering, what kind of sense do I make out of what's going on in my life? I'm confused. Or maybe you're here and you've suffered a loss or a sadness or a grief. And how do I... How do I go on? 
Maybe you're fearful. And you'd rather avoid, but you know you can't. Maybe you're like Abraham here and you've blown it. You, you took matters into your own hands. You got impatient with God. You, you stepped out on your own. And now you got this mess on your hands. I would say no matter where you are today, God is saying, lift up your eyes. Look from the place where you are. Don't stay where you are. This is a message of hope. This is a message of the f- going forward, of moving on, of not staying. His grace covers your failures. His grace leads you out of your bad decisions, your sin. I love this verse in Psalm 16:11. I've clung to this verse lately in my own life. It says, "You will make known to me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy." And in your right hand there are pleasures forevermore. You ever been going through a tough time and you read a scripture like this and you go, yeah, right? I mean, I, I, I can understand this if I'm going through a good thing. and I, I can understand this if life is just traipsing along and everybody's being nice to me and everything's going, well, I've got plenty of money and I tell you, there is, such, there is such valuable meaning for us when we are going through the struggle of our life. And we read something like this. In your presence is the fullness of joy. In your right hand there are pleasures forevermore. I'm here to tell you today that God heals those that are wounded. I'm here to tell you today that God restores those who are broken. And in his presence, where he is, there is always joy. There is always joy. And when we are in his presence and we're drinking in the spirit of God into us and the joy of the Lord so fills us in the midst of difficulty... What does joy produce for you and I? (laughs) The joy of the Lord is our strength. I guess I'm here to tell you today that God can be trusted. God can be trusted. No matter what you're going through, it's God who is able. Don't... Don't get out ahead of him. Don't take matters into your own hands. Don't do most of what he says. Don't don't look at the ways in which he seems to be leading and it looks too odd or too mysterious or too difficult or uh, you're so incapable. What God calls us to, he can do. He can do. And we just let him. I want you to bow your heads with me. Father, I just pray today. I pray today for your ministry among us. It's, it's, it's not about what is sung or what is said. It's about what it is that you want to do in and through us today.
And I, I know that your ways are beyond our ways and your thoughts are beyond our thoughts and we don't think the way you think sometimes and we don't uh, expect what you expect. And I'm praying today, Father God, that you would apply very uniquely and individually to us the message that comes through this little story in Abraham's life. I pray, Father God, that uh, you would... Comfort those who are in need of your comfort today, that you would heal those who are in need of your healing. I pray today that your word would be so specific to us. I pray for faith to be generated in our lives. I thank you for what you've done in my life over the past few weeks and months. I thank you, Father, for walking close And I pray, Father God, as we, as a church family, come to a time of transition, that we will know that uh, you're able to lead us, you're able to go before us, you're able to go behind us, that you can minister in the times and the days that we have here at this location effectively, and you will begin this new work in a new location in such a way that you just won't miss a beat. You'll just continue your work here. So we trust in you, Lord, today. We trust in you for this transition. We trust in you for the souls that will be one to the kingdom through the ministry of this church in the months and weeks ahead. So, Father, we are praying in faith today that you would prepare the way in front of us so that in all things we may rejoice that you're a God who is able and capable because of the demonstration of your Spirit's power among us. And we will forever praise and glorify you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. I want you to stand again.